0: Hi everyone, Dr. Edith here. As you know if you've been following our show, we often discuss topics that are in the news, adding context and diving deeper. Today we're talking mental health, which has been on the news perhaps more than any other topic we've talked about so far, and for good reason. The CDC has released new data revealing widespread mental health issues among high school students. The U.S. Surgeon General has called it an urgent public health crisis, a devastating decline in the mental health of kids across the country. But beyond the news and what doctors like myself are seeing, I think this topic is hitting most of us personally these days. Whether your mental health suffered during the pandemic, or you know a teen who struggled with depression or anxiety, or, like myself, you struggled to adjust to motherhood, the mental health crisis has touched most of us. Today, we talk about what's behind this crisis and the things that we can all do to help. From Columbia University Children's Health in New York, you are listening to the Stuff That Matters for Kids' Health. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Edith Bracho-Sanchez. I am a new mama who also happens to be a pediatrician, and I want to personally invite you to join me in talking to some of the most brilliant minds of our time as I ask them, what are the things that really matter today for our kids to turn out okay? For today's show, I sat down with Dr. Zachary Blumkin, he is a psychologist, he is the Senior Clinical Director of the Psychiatry Faculty Practice here at Columbia, and most importantly, he specializes in working with children, adolescents, and young adults. Very quickly, the content on this podcast is provided for general information only and should not be relied on as a substitute for any professional medical advice or treatment. The views shared on this show solely reflect the expertise and experience of me, your host, and our guests. Please also remember, if you or anyone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, you can always call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988-24-HOURS-A-DAY, 7 days a week. And with that, here's my chat with Dr. Zachary Blinken. Enjoy. Welcome, Zach. It's so nice to have you. Thanks for having me. So I like to start these shows by asking people exactly what it is that they do in their professional lives. So tell us.
1: So I am a clinical psychologist. I'm also the Senior Clinical Director of the Psychiatry Faculty Practice at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. Uh, I spend about 50% of my time doing administrative work where I'm working with directors of different programs and thinking about different kind of workflow and systemic issues or avenues that we can improve within the Department of Psychiatry in our FPO and trying to improve some of the programs and as well as support the the aspects are going really well. And then 50% of the time I do clinical work where I work with children, adolescents, some parents utilizing evidence-based practices.
0: The fun work, as we like to call it. That's
1: right. That's (laughs) right.
0: So Zach, we've all been touched by the mental health crisis, what we've come to know as the crisis in some way or another. And I wonder if you can share with us a little bit what you are seeing in your practice.
1: Yeah. So- I'm really appreciative of you having me on and talking about this because I think this is such an important topic. We really have been seeing a significant increase in psychiatric issues throughout the pandemic and post-pandemic. And it's not only kind of the severity of these issues, but it's the number of issues that folks are struggling with. When in fact, though, we look at the data, we can see that there's actually been, especially among teens, a pretty significant increase since 2012. Mm -hmm. And it's likely that the pandemic only exacerbated an issue that was already present, but maybe not as noticeable as it is now. We can also say that racial and ethnic minorities, specifically Black and Native American teens, as well as those part of the LGBTQ population, are disproportionately impacted by these increasing issues related to mental health. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. So let me ask you, when you say the severity and the number of things that people are struggling with, and teens in particular. What do you mean by that?
1: And this, I'll relate back to more of the anecdotal or or the things that I'm observing within my administrative role and my clinical role. We're seeing folks that sort of look sicker, meaning that they're suffering more. You know, maybe a couple years ago, you'd have an individual come to your office and they'd say, I'm a little bit sad. But these days, we have folks coming in and they're talking a lot about death and dying and they're struggling with multiple issues related to depression. In addition to the kind of that severity, right? So the intensity of the issue that they're struggling with, we're seeing folks struggle with more issues, not only maybe depression, maybe also anxiety or Mm -hmm. even something like ADHD, which could be more straightforward issue in the past. Mm -hmm. We're seeing folks come in with ADHD plus other issues going on, such as suicidality.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it is so tragic and at the same time interesting that you say that and that you name it in that way and describe it in that way because it is also what I am seeing in my practice as a primary care pediatrician. It's the number of things that people, that teens and kids, right, sometimes before the teenage years are are presenting with some of these issues. And Zach, I want to cut to the chase and I want to ask you really the biggest question of all the questions, right? What do you think? knowing, again, that this is a loaded question, caused this?
1: So I still think that there's a lot to uncover. And kind of what I alluded to before, the pandemic caused kind of a significant explosion among a problem that was already occurring. And so when we're talking about the pandemic, let's be more specific. So folks faced loss of caregivers, folks, Mm -hmm. family members who died from COVID or, or folks that they knew who died from COVID, social isolation throughout the pandemic, academic disruptions or missed important developmental moments like high school graduation or the prom or, you know, starting college in a a more typical way, right? There was parental job loss. We knew that, uh, we know now that there was increase in substance use as well as spousal abuse. So Mm. these are issues that exacerbated a problem that was already there. So that's one of the things that we're seeing now. We also know that individuals, teens, are facing more information at an earlier age than they ever were before. So their access to social media and information, and I want to be super clear, I'm not saying it's a horrible thing, and I'm also not saying it's a good thing, but it lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And so when we think about this, right, you have a teen that is looking up aspects of the war in Ukraine, they're able to see videos Gosh, and photos yes. and receive information that maybe a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old isn't ready to process.
0: Of course. That's
1: problematic.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, as an example, the war in Ukraine, but it's also climate change. It's also school shootings. It's also, you know, when you think about the number of things that kids and teens are having to process and, and be exposed to and sit with and deal with at such an early age, you see how these things add
1: up. In addition to what you just named, right? There's also global warming, political polarization. The other piece we want to think about is bullying. When I was growing up, yeah, right, you could get bullied, but at three o'clock it stopped. Right, you went home. Right. Nowadays, kids can be targeted online twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Right, and that's something that they're facing that they've never had to face before we also want to name and something that you're an expert in is thinking about the biology of our teens. Mm-hmm. They're going through puberty much earlier than than before. And we actually think that this could lead to some difficulties in processing some of this complex information that they're being bombarded with online. Yeah. So it's highly problematic.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting you say that. And as soon as I leave this recording today, I'm actually heading uptown to record with a pediatric endocrinologist here at Columbia to talk about puberty and what's happening happening and how that's affecting mental health, among many other things. So it's really a number of things. And, and listen, and Zach, on a personal note, I want to share a recent experience that I had with, with a family friend, someone who shared that her teenage daughter had recently disclosed having suicidal thoughts. And my personal, you know, the inside voice reaction that I had, it wasn't what I said out loud. But on the inside, I sort of thought to myself, gosh, this is a two-parent household. They are such good parents. There isn't any obvious sign of something wrong. And it's happening even to this to this teen. And, you know, then I caught myself, right, as a health professional, as someone who deals with with mental health on a primary care level. I thought, of course, of course, she can be at risk, too, because of all the things that we discussed. But I wonder, Zach, how we should be thinking about all teens, not just the teens that are having a very marked, obvious experience, and not just the teens who are very, quote unquote, at risk, but all teens. How should we be thinking about them right now?
1: So I I really like that question, and why I like that question is you're really highlighting the idea that we need to reduce the stigma or how we think about mental health issues in a negative way. And I think the number one thing we can begin to think about is how our frontline workers, our pediatricians, Mm -hmm. our orthodontists, certainly our school personnel, everyone can begin to be more open in asking and talking about mental health issues. And I really think over the years, you know, research does show in some ways, we have reduced the stigma related to some mental health issues. But with other issues, we really haven't. And really, one of the ongoing ways that, that the stigma hasn't gone down is talking about violence and folks with having mental health issues being the perpetrators of violence, when in fact, we know that that's not the case, they're more likely to be victims of violence. So we have a long way to go. And we really want to talk openly about mental health issues and understanding that everyone's at risk.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned all the people that need to be involved in the solution, right? And it's really all of us who interact with children. It's, you know, whether you're an aunt, whether you're a cousin, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an orthodontist, as you said, it, it's, it's really on all of us to start talking about some of these things. And I really do think, I see it in my practice. I'm sure you do as well. Kids are ready. Kids want to talk to you about this. Is this your experience?
1: It is. I think kids want help, and they're more open to getting help. I think this is one of the benefits of being online: is that there is a venue and an avenue in which folks can talk openly about mental health issues. And so, I think not being afraid as adults in an older generation, where we maybe didn't talk about this as much, and it also requires folks, and certainly folks on the front lines, and that includes parents and aunts and uncles and godparents, to be more mindful of some of the signs and be aware of. Some of the signs, so we can ask if we notice somebody who might be struggling. You know, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, and what are those signs, Zach? Just to go right into those, what are those signs, and what is the "quote unquote" right way? Although we all have our ways, right? We all communicate in different ways, and all of that is valid. But what would you recommend that we learn as the signs, and how would you recommend we ask about this?
1: So, some of the signs are social isolation. Some of the signs are shutting down. Some of the signs are talking about death or dying or giving items away. Of course, things like self-harm or even what I might call like a teen tantrum or a moment where they're very upset and screaming and yelling or even very upset and fully shutting down and not eating for days on end or anything like that. These are these are major signs that we want to be aware of. And to the question of, well, how do we approach this? The best way is to do it genuinely. Do it how you are as a human being, show that you care about someone and you're worried and give them examples of why you might be worried and also validate. That can be a tremendous help in this situation.
0: Yeah. And you know, Zach, there's still a lot of parents out there who are afraid of quote unquote putting ideas in kids' heads. Talk to us a little bit about that. Are you putting the idea in their head if you ask? Are you thinking of hurting yourself?
1: Love that question. And no, you're not. There's a lot of research to indicate by asking teens, children, anyone, are you thinking about hurting themselves can actually be the first step in saving someone. And so it's not contagious in the way that you can ask about that. And that can put the idea in someone's head. Uh, there are other ways that we worry about contagion factors, but it's not in this manner in which we're asking, are you okay? Are you thinking about hurting yourself, which should be in everyone's repertoire if they're on the frontline, Lines with teens right now because it is such a major issue.
0: Yeah, and really anyone right now. Period, right? I think today our conversation is about teens, but but adults are going through a similar crisis. I think you know more people are feeling isolated. The Surgeon General declared an epidemic, right, of isolation, and so I think this becoming part of our repertoire as just people is probably a really good idea. Now, Zach, for the parent who's listening and is thinking. You know, this is overwhelming and my teen is not having any of these signs right now and I really just don't want this to happen to them. Is there anything they can do to prevent this from happening?
1: Yeah, so... You know, I think some of the, uh, some of the prevention lies in, in thinking about what is healthy lifestyles. So first and foremost, balancing social media and online time can be really helpful. The kind of the regular stuff that we talk about as healthcare providers, getting exercise, engaging socially in person, having extracurricular activities and positive relationships with other teens and parents regularly attending medical health care appointments. These are all things that can serve our teens well, as well as spending one-on-one time with them as a parent and right, thinking creatively because teens don't always want to spend time with our parents, right? Right. right. I have an eight-year-old <laughs> that's like on the cusp of it. He's just right there where he's about to say, dad, you're no longer cool. Yeah. And that's all right. That's part of it. You just got to get creative and, and really kind of try to follow those same principles that I think we've talked about for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. You know, when I sometimes, also wonder, and it's something I've I've talked with my husband at home. We work so much, Zach. We we all do. I think we work too much in this country, in this society. I think we all work too much. And I think sometimes our lives are just sort of structured so that we can work, so that we can be quote unquote productive. And sometimes I'm finding myself saying, gosh I need to stop. These are precious years to really spend with with my child and to really be in tune to his emotions and my little guy, so little. Is that part of the solution, do you think? And how do you think about this on a personal level?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a work-life balance is so important and also so hard for kind of the societal and cultural reasons that you said and for other folks, because this is a means to their end, right? This is for many people listening, I imagine they're sort of like, well, Zach, you know, I can't work less. What are you talking about? But it is about trying to spend as much time as you can and supporting and getting that time with your child, because at some point they're going to turn around and they're not going to want to hang out. And then when they do want to hang out again, they'll be older and won't have time because they'll have kids themselves or they'll have jobs themselves. So I do think it is about finding that work-life balance. And that's not only for the relationship, but it's also for modeling for our kids that it's not all about work. Right. Right? And and listen, there's different folks with different values and I'll respect anybody and kind of what they're thinking about with that work life balance. And it's okay to have different opinions. And I also think having a, a solid balance can be really helpful for teens and for your children to see.
0: Yeah. No, and that's exactly what I wonder about. I'm very intentional about the example that I'm setting for my child, and that's what's leading me down this route of, gosh, am I working too much? And I have the luxury of saying, am I working too much? And I have the luxury of even considering cutting back, right, which is definitely a luxury. I also want to ask you, Zach, how is all of this, and by this I mean the mental health crisis, impacting children and teens of color differently knowing that in your career you have worked with a lot of kids of color and and I just want to hear your perspective on how things are different for them
1: so when we're thinking about kids of color and teens who are members of BIPOC community it really is kind of a sad reflection on where we are in our society in 2023 mm-hmm. we know that there's been significant increases in causes of death related to suicide for black teens. We know black and Latinx children were 14% less likely to receive treatment than white kids. We know that the Native American population is significantly impacted by mental health issues as well as substance use issues. And I want to be clear, this is due to societal issues. This is due to access of care. This is due to systemic issues, not due to problems within the culture. Mm -hmm. And, And I still think that there's folks out there that have a difficult time recognizing that and looking at the data and seeing it objectively. So it is a significant problem that is rising among marginalized populations that it's not rising in the same way with the white population. And it's something that we need to do a better job of in this country.
0: Mm -hmm. How do we approach prevention differently, knowing that this is what's happening, Zach?
1: So. I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that within our training programs and within our schools that we're recruiting providers of color that we're supporting kind of systemic aspects that will support providers of color and marginalized folks to join our fields and that our fields are open to working with different folks from different backgrounds. And I think that will go a long way. We also need to make sure that our BIPOC communities and our underserved communities have access to not only affordable care, but evidence-based care, care that's supported by research, that's so important and we also need to make sure that all providers regardless where they come from are aware of the different socio-political issues that impact their patients and as hard as it is for providers to hear this and this really is for our providers who are listening is about providers being aware of how their own biases positions and the intersectionality of power and privilege really impacts how they think about their patients Populations that they're working with, and that they're open to receiving information about how they might be biased or racist in different moments. Until these things happen, we're not going to see a major shift, and we owe it to everyone to make this shift.
0: Yeah, yeah. Such wise words, Zach. And, and I've talked about this before. I can't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast or on my social channels, but I've been very open about it. I, um, When I became a mom, really struggled with anxiety and adjusting to the transition. And it was my turn to look for help. And when I did look for help, I wanted a woman of color because I am a woman of color. And I needed someone in that moment who I felt was going to understand me. And I think this is true for many of my friends who are women of color. I think it is true for many of my patients who are teenagers who want to be treated by someone who, who is from their culture, who understands their culture, not to say that other providers cannot learn, cannot have really the, the humility, right, and, and, the, and the curiosity and the desire to help and treat and learn, but to say that it, it really does matter. It really does go a long way as a woman of color. I've learned it. I've seen it firsthand, not just in my patients, but also in myself. Zach, I cannot thank you enough for your time. This was such a lovely conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you at home for joining me on the Stuff That Matters for Kids Health podcast. If you liked our show, make sure to tune back in next week to leave us a rating and review, and to help us spread the word about our show. That's right. We'd love it if you could tell a parent friend IRL in real life or just drop a link on your group chat. We'll take that, too. You can also find us and more information on Kids Health on our social media channels at Kids at Columbia. I'm Dr. Edith Bracho Sanchez in New York, and I'll see you next time.